Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. FDNY firefighter Brendan Cauley is a survivor of the horrific Black Sunday fire, which occurred in the Bronx on the morning of January 23, 2005, and tragically claimed the lives of three members of the department after they jumped from a fourth-story window to escape the blaze. The interview you will hear in this episode of the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast featuring Cauley was recorded in early 2019 at a Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Summit in Annapolis, Maryland. The event was devoted to the concept of resilience. Other summit guests have been featured on this podcast, including the co-founders of the Mission Critical Teams Institute, New York Times bestselling authors Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, as well as LUF senior mentor James Russell. To help listeners gain context for each summit conversation, LUF founder Jason Bresler and I discussed our reflections shortly after the event, which you'll hear prior to the interview. Jason, a lot of thought goes into each Leadership Under Fire event. The first moderated discussion featured FDNY firefighter Brendan Cauley. Why was he the best person to start us off at the 2019 summit? So for the summit, we wanted to look at resilience through an individual lens and also organizational, both experiential and scientific. And when you talk about individual resilience in an experiential context, I, I've been around the fire service and, and uh, the, the military now for the better part of two decades. And resilience, resilient, no one typifies that more than, than Brendan Cauley. Suffice to say, if you just had resilient and a, and a photo next to it, it would, it would be Brendan. I mean, he, he, he exemplifies in individual resilience. I think many people are familiar with the, the story, particularly in the fire service. Uh, that fateful morning, January of 2005, has really become kind of an iconic event, a, a tragic event that's certainly well, well known across the United States and globally in, in, in the fire service. Brendan was one of six firefighters that morning that were that were forced to to jump. He's unique in in the sense that he's the only one to return to work mm-hmm. full duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and fourteen years later, he's still serving in a very busy company in the Bronx. And what's interesting about Brendan's particular story is his adversity doesn't begin on the morning of January two thousand five. It it dates back to the morning of nine eleven when he lost his brother Michael. And uh, even in the wake of that, Brendan made the decision to come on the New York City Fire Department. So I, I think that his return is nothing shy of amazing. And I think when you think about that morning and you listen to the audio when you look at the video or you you, you get a sense of the, the building, the fire conditions, and you create this, this image of what those men en- endured that morning, you think about the extent of his physical trauma to return. But that's really only one part of the story, right? What what does it take for Brendan Cauley to return to work psychologically and, and emotionally? I feel like I'm not even qualified to even try to relay 
to, to someone how challenging that that was. I think on that note, we should just listen in. FDNY firefighter Brendan Cauley is a survivor of the horrific Black Sunday fire, which occurred in the Bronx on the morning of January 23rd, 2005, and tragically claimed the lives of three members of the department after they jumped from a fourth story window to escape the blaze. Brendan is one of six members who jumped from the top floor of the apartment building that day. 34 months later, he returned to full duty status after a miraculous and grueling recovery from the physical and mental injuries he sustained as a result of his long fall. In addition to working in Ladder Company 27, Brendan is an instructor at the FDNY's Fire Academy. Welcome, Brendan, to the 2019 Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Summit. Thanks, Patty. <laughs> Brendan, your story of resilience begins before the Black Sunday fire. Where were you when you heard about the planes hitting the World Trade Center on 9-11, and what were your thoughts? Um, I was at home at my parents' house in Queens. Um, I was alone. My mother was at work. She's a nurse in a hospital in the area. My father was in Long Island at um, an, another house that they have. And um, I was, I had woken up to the phone just ringing and ringing and ringing. And when I went to get it, there was nobody on the other end. I made it back into uh, the, uh, the TV room and my father had called back again. And he had said, turn on the television, look what's going on downtown. Uh, my father had, had been retired, but previously he'd worked at the, uh, at the World Trade Center um, for most of his uh, career. And, um, and whatnot, and we sat there on the phone together watching what, you know, the destruction, what was going on down there. And of course, he, uh, he had said, you know, have you heard from your brother? And uh, my brother Michael's a fireman, and we hadn't heard from him yet. Um, my mother was checking in as well, uh, telling me that, you know, they were on lockdown from, you know, expecting patients from Philadelphia to Boston. Yeah, she was a nurse at what was, uh, it's New York Hospital of Queens now, it was Booth Memorial Hospital then, but she was on lockdown waiting for patients, and she said uh, most of the East Coast or the Northeast is going to be just inundated with people. Um, so she ju just said, you know, keep me updated if you hear from Michael. Um, we, we figured that, you know, where he was the night before working and then finding out that morning, it would be you know, putting the time together about when the towers got hit, when they found out that they were going down there, and when um, the towers came down, it just would not be possible for them to get there by then. So that's how I was reassuring my parents, but um, um, sure enough, they got down there in no time, and, and Michael was lost that day. He was in the, uh, the South Tower with uh, Rescue Company 4. Which he wasn't working with. Right? No, he wasn't. Um, he actually was working, paying back somebody a tour who had helped him out about a month earlier. And he had, um, so it wasn't even his firehouse. He worked about a mile down the road. But he was working there that night, September 10th. And uh, he had gotten off probably around 7.30, 8 in the morning, was hanging out with the guys and uh, having coffee. And then the call came in uh, about the Trade Center. And he just, he had jumped on Rescue 4 with those guys and went down. So I think they rode heavy by, by two, and uh, all eight of them were lost that day. So that was how we found out about uh, you know, what I was doing that morning, and then um, what happened with Michael. How did your family deal with the grief of losing your brother? Uh, well, 
obviously it was it was very difficult. Um, I remember holding on to hope for the longest time, um, days, weeks, months. Just you know, he's you know maybe he got hit in the head and walked across country. You know, um, just hoping that uh, something happened, or they you know you'd hear reports that there was there was voids in the in the parking garage, or they were um, they found guys here which just you know they hadn't. Um, but uh, you know, my family and I, we 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 stuck together, and we um, um, we helped each other out getting through it. Obviously, it was um, the worst thing I ever witnessed was what was watching my mother go through this. So, um, seeing her every day was uh, extremely difficult. But uh, we just stuck together and, and supported each other, and, um, and 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 got through it. You know. At that point, you were already on the path to becoming a firefighter. What did your family say when you told them you still wanted to become a firefighter after that? Well, you know, my, my brother was like the rush chairman for the fire department. He just, he thought everybody should be on the fire department. You know, it was like the only job in the world, not the greatest. It was the only, and everybody should do this, you know. And uh, he would say to me, come on, get, you know, get your, get your act together and, and get on the fire department. And I was, you know, post-college, I thought, oh, I want to travel, I wanted to, you can do that. Just get on the fire department and do it, and this and that, and uh um, it's 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 the greatest, Brendan. You don't understand. You got it. You got it. You got to come on this job, and um, you know. And I knew it. And I just um, you know. I, I think witnessing September 11th just made me want to uh, be a New York City fireman even more. And um, uh, my family was very supportive. They knew that it was what I wanted to do prior to September 11th. Um, I mean, September 11th was just the, the worst day. Um, we can imagine, and, and, and uh, I know terrorism now is, uh, is a, an everyday part of our job, besides fighting these uh, dangerous fires every day, but uh, my, my parents were very supportive, and they knew it was a, a way that I also now wanted to um, honor my brother and, and become a fireman um, and, and, and keep him remembered in that way. So uh, I, I was very fortunate that I had all of their support. Yeah. So going to the Black Sunday fire, at what point in your career were you on that morning? Basically the very beginning. I, I had been through the academy for uh, 13 weeks. I, ironically, my hiring date is September 12th, but of 2004. So um, I started the academy on that day, and I got out in mid to late December. Um, I spent the 13 weeks there, and I was assigned to Ladder Company 27 in the Bronx. Um, I had my first fire. I believe my first tour was the 18th of December. My first fire was Christmas Day. We had a nice private dwelling that was going up. And, uh, you know, it was good. It was good to get your, you know, um, your training now put to, to use. You know, I mean, I was still um, so new, but I was with a senior crew, and it was, it was a great feeling. You know, I was just, uh, I was breaking stuff. You know, I was opening up walls. We were searching for fire. We were searching for victims. We were taking windows, venting the place. It was it was great, and I had I had a really experienced crew that I was working with that day that was really showing me the ropes. So um, I can remember being nervous. Um, I can remember being like just just pumped up, and and the adrenaline and the excitement, and and probably scared, and just a, a whole buffet of emotion uh, that that uh, Christmas morning at that fire. And then um, you know it was then a month later or, or a little bit less. So. Uh, on, on January 23rd, or Black Sunday, as they've named it, um, I had a, about 35 days on the job. Yeah. 
So at this point, we're gonna play some transmissions from that operation. Um, there is a transcription because some of them are muffled. So if you're in the back and you wanna move forward just so you really understand what they're saying, uh, we're gonna get that set up. Go ahead, boys. Go ahead, Mayday. What's your location? 
We just listened to the transmissions. Can you walk us through your recollection of that day? Sure. Um, it was a, a Sunday morning. The, the call came in around 8 a.m. We had about 18 inches of snow fall the night before. So um, guess who was shoveling the snow in front of the firehouse all night? <laughs> um, it was very cold. There was a high wind condition that morning. Um, Sunday morning, 8 a.m., you're thinking, you know, at least in the area where we are, up in the Bronx, people are home, for sure. It's a, it's a, a prime time for people to be at home. And, uh, and off we went. We had, we had a little trouble getting into the box. We were the first Duke truck company, which would go to the fire floor. But we wound up 
being a little bit delayed, so we, we got in sort of second due, and um, the truck that's up the block from us, they went into the fire floor, so we wound up going to uh, the floor above, um, which was the top floor in this building. Um, you know, I, was, I was just trying to keep my eye on my boss and the Irons man, so the three of us, uh, my buddy Gene and my boss, Kurt Mayron, we were together, we were one team. We were gonna go right to the front door of the apartment above the fire and go in and do searches. Um, that's where all the heat and gas and smoke are going, so we're, we're putting ourselves up there. Um, and uh, the, door was, the door wasn't even locked, so in we went, and it was just very dark in the apartment that morning. Um, I had followed uh, Gene, the ironsman in, and uh, we started doing searches right off the bat. Um, he realized that I was with him. We got to a point where we were taking doors inside the apartment. So we had single room occupancies in there. It was basically families living in a room and sharing the bathroom and the kitchen and, uh, and whatnot up there. So everybody had their own just room. Um, and we went doing searches. I remember just um, the, the smoke condition in the beginning was, was very light. The heat condition wasn't much at all uh, at first. Um, I was, I was falling over toys and furniture. I think there was a big wheel I fell over, and uh, I just kept you know, bouncing up and doing whatever Gene was doing. We were searching, using whatever I, I, I basically learned in the academy. That's, that's the experience that I had bringing with me into this uh, apartment there. And, um, you know, but I remember being so pumped up and, and, and the adrenaline and just, just jacked um, and nervous, without a doubt, uh, probably a little scared. Um, just, uh, again, another whole um, buffet of emotion, really, uh, that I was, I was uh, experiencing. But, um, you know, we were taking windows. I was probing for a fire escape, which we never found. And then um, there was a point they had water um, problems on the floor below. Uh, so they couldn't get water on the fire below. So they took the line that was up with us down below. And uh, now we're up there without any line. And uh, my boss said to me, just let's look for the fire escape. Uh, Brendan, let's try and, and, and find the fire escape so we have a second way out of here in case. And um, Gene's Viber alert went off, so he was running low on air. And uh, my boss had said to Gene, all right, we got to go. Uh, and, and Gene said, give me a minute. And I said to the boss then, I saw a fire escape when I stuck my head out of a window. I had been in one of the bedrooms, and I took the window, and I probed for the fire escape. It wasn't there, but... I had stuck my head out of this window, and the first direction I looked was to the right, and there was a fire escape at the next window over. So that was um, uh, the window that I was trying to tell my boss that I, I, um, I had uh, the fire escape where I had found it. So in we went to this room. We left Gene where, we, where, we, where he was running low on air, and um, the boss saw the fire escape. We tried to breach that wall. We couldn't figure out how to get to this other side of the apartment. Nobody had found it. Um, and there was a number of very experienced firemen up there in the um, apartment that, that morning. But uh, as we were trying to breach the wall, my boss's vibe alert went off. And um, he, said, he grabbed me. He said, come on, let's go. Uh, let's get out of here, Brendan. So we went back out of the room. We met Gene, who now was completely out of air. And, um, and the boss grabbed Gene to get him to the, the closest window to get him some air. And the, the smoke condition was was really building now. Um, he grabbed me by my collar and said, 27 can? And I said, yes, that's me. And he goes, let's go. And we went to the window. Um, 
just to get some air. I remember you couldn't see the front door any longer because it was just pitch black um, in that direction. And I think that's why the boss took us just to the window because you could see the daylight coming in and just to get us some air. Um, and when we got there, he gave the transmissions of the, the slight extension where, where they started. Everything was very just normal up until this point. And um, I know when we started the transmissions, he gives a report of slight extension, slight extension. But just a couple of seconds later, there's a, an urgent given for fire blown out of the, uh, the front door by uh, the Captain of Rescue 3. So that's kind of how fast it just changed on us. And um, well, the three of us now, uh, my boss and Gene and I, were at this window. And um, they started, they lowered a mask off the roof to Gene, you know, to get some more air to him. The boss now was out of air and took his mask off. I was running out of air, and I just stood behind them and depleted my cylinder. <laughs> Um, and when I ran out, I just popped the regular out and stuck my head out the window just to get a little bit of air, you know, because it was getting pretty smoky in there. And the heat was starting to be noticed, I should say, um, but not nothing crazy. Um, what was running through your mind at that point? You're saying nothing crazy, but you're... You know, I, I, always, I still felt safe being with Gene and, and Lieutenant Mayron. Um, I, I didn't think that... Um, you know, in the academy when you're training, we run out of air all the time. We just finish the drill. Um, and I, so popping out my regulator, it just wasn't anything just yet. In my mind, I, it was just still going, just doing what my boss was telling me or just being right there. I wanted to be right there with them so that if there was a problem, I wasn't going to be part of it. Um, earlier in the job, um, I was in a room searching. And it was that room where I took the window and saw the fire escape. And when I came back in, I was alone in the room. Um, and I, 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 I was like, oh my god, I'm alone. We're, you know, Not so much like that I was afraid because I was by myself, but I was like, I'm going to be a problem because my boss is not, I'm not on his, attached to his hip. You know, or Gene. And, and now neither of them are here. And I'm like, this is a problem. i got to be attached to them. And I, like a bull, I just bolted right out of the door of this bedroom. I mean, like, um, and I, I, I came face to face and slammed into this guy. And he went right down on his back. And I just barreled over this guy. And I looked down. And it was a fireman from Rescue 3 that was laying on his back that I just plowed down on the floor. And I'm, you know, here I am a probie. And I've got a patch that shows it. And like, you know. <laughs> I got a couple of weeks on the job. This guy is probably one of the more experienced guys on the job. And I'm staring at him like, you know, do I help him get up? Do I, I, do I pretend I didn't do it? You know, what do, where do I go from here? You know, I don't, so I just kept going down the hallway to find my boss. You know, and I was like probably holding on to him like, you know, like a kid on his dad. Like, I didn't do it, you know. But, um, but. Back at the window, I was, I was like, I, said, I was just trying to focus on Gene and my boss and doing what, what they would tell me to do. And uh, when my boss saw that I was out of air, he, he took my face piece off to, you know, clear my whole face and, and, and make it easier for me to breathe, which then sort of knocked my helmet off and my hood came down. But he stuck my head out the window and, and pulled me back in and he said, Brendan, ditch your mask. It's no good to you anymore. So I... Um, I untangled our arms that were around each other, and I dropped to my knees right behind Gene, uh, Gene and my boss, 
And uh, I couldn't get this, uh, the shoulder strap, the alligator clip loosened. We wear these bulky gloves that are not you know, user friendly. Um, so I, I, I ripped off my right glove and I got the alligator, you know, the clip, and I got it loosened. And, and right then was, um, was when everything just went extremely south. And um, I, the heat was the first thing that hit us and, and just barreled over us. Um, I remember thinking like that my, I, I, or I felt like, like my face was just melting off of my head. That's how bad it was. And I went from my knees up and out that window, um, which I don't think I could do if I even tried again. You know, it just, it was, um, that's how um, much I was just burning and I needed, my body just reacted and went. And I, I got caught on uh, my boss's shoulder um, and my stomach and, and whatnot. So I now I, my head is sticking out the window here and my boss and Gina standing there at the window and now I know that you know, they're obviously burning as well. And um, it was a bad situation. So the boss started to give um, the maydays. And I knew now this was, uh, this was really bad. You know, and I remember thinking, this, this, this can't happen. Um, you know, this, this is too soon for something like this to happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on a little over a month. And uh, you know, this, 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 is, this is bad. But um, my boss did a, a, a brilliant maneuver and he sort of straddled the window and he, he laid on top of the window bars that were still in place and his arm was out and his leg and another leg was in, uh, another arm was in and the leg was in and by him straddling that um, part of the window it enabled Gene and I then to stand and kneel up on the windowsill so that the three of us fit perfect at this window. You know, otherwise the three, you know, three grown men that we were, we weren't going to fit at this window together. So he kind of like put it together and, uh, and he gave another round a, a set of maydays from the window in that position. Um, and I had held him by his collar and his, the middle of his coat and Gene had him by the bottom of his coat and the seat of his pants. And we just leaned our heads out the window to cool off. Um, remember, it was probably in the, uh, in, in the teens that morning and it was, it was helping for sure. But we were pinned to that window. There was no, there was no coming back. Um, no coming back in at all or anything. Um, the boss eventually um, made the decision and said, you know, this is the way we're going, guys. And, uh, you know, there was an exposed basement. So we were on the fifth, we were five stories above. Um, and he showed the way out. He wasn't going to say, you know, climb over me. He, he lifted a leg and uh, he got vertical hanging from those window bars. And Gene lost his grip on him. I remember having just the back of his collar and looking at him. And he let go, and, and straight down he went like uh, like a pin. Um, but uh, you know the the way he landed, um, and his his legs kind of just popped out in a in a in a way that our legs don't bend. Um, when I when I when I speak to like probie classes or other departments about this, I often I, if if you remember when when Lawrence Taylor hit Joe Theismann on Monday Night Football years ago, those of you who are um, and you saw his leg just pop out of, you know, it just, that's what I saw. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's haunted me since, since that day, having witnessed it uh, and having seen it. Um, the, the impact went right up his body, and he broke his pelvis, and then straight up and he broke his neck, and he was, uh, he was dead in the backyard. Um, I hadn't known that at the time, of course. I just knew that he was in, in, in bad shape. Uh, and now Gene was saying to me, uh, 
come on, let's go, let's go, I got you. And I started to climb out the same exact way that my boss had. And um, I saw Jeff at the window next to us. So I hadn't seen him in the apartment, but I saw him on top of uh, the um, air conditioner at the window next to us. So um, besides, you know, I, I just knew somebody else was trapped up there with us besides the three of us. Um, but I, I just kept going, and I have a guy saying to me, you're okay, you're okay, I got you, and it was Gene. And uh, once I got vertical um, and it was hanging from those window bars, I had known that, you know, it wasn't okay. Um, and I saw fire at that moment for the first time that morning. Um, there was fire coming out of the top of the window uh, above Gene's head, and everything else behind him was black. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was the first time that I, that I had saw fire. Um, I wanted to go and, uh, and just break my legs. I wanted to fall and, and break my legs. I didn't want to go any other direction, so I, uh, I, I let go. I knew Gene had to get out of there fast. Um, and, and when I let go, my body started to tumble backwards because my, my cylinder was loose on my back and dangling, so it winds up pulling me backwards. And now I'm falling, and uh, I'm kind of, I'm spinning upside down. I'm turning upside down and falling out. And uh, I'm watching my feet now go above me. Um, I thought about an awful lot in a very short amount of time. So um, did my life flash before me? No. But I, I thought about my brother. I thought about my mother. I remember thinking that this is um, the shortest career. Uh, I remember thinking that um, I'm not going to play basketball for a long time, you know. And don't ask me why, because I don't, uh, I, I don't think I'm that good of a basketball player. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have a side job with the, the Knicks or anything like that. But uh, it, it, it's just something that went through my mind. And um, I remember thinking for the first time that day, there was, there was three different times I thought I was going to die. And that was the first uh, when I was, like, really spinning upside down. And then the last thing I, I, I thought was that um, this is taking way too long um, to land. And, and that's when I hit. And I was fortunate uh, that I landed on the top of my, my, my left shoulder here. And uh, the, my mask sort of absorbed a fraction of um, the landing. And, and the, the investigators and the doctors thought that it's maybe something that helped save my life, just skidding off of the cylinder and whatnot. And, um, very fortunate that I wasn't maybe a little heavier and came down faster. Um, or if I was lighter, I would have maybe spun completely and landed on my neck. Um, if the building was a little bit taller uh, or, we, or shorter, if we fell a uh, shorter distance, um, they factor all that stuff in. And uh, they tell you you're doing about 40 to 45 miles an hour when you hit the ground. Um, they could tell you, I think the burns on my coat proved that it was about 700 degrees in the, in the room when I left. Um, uh, Gene, when he came out, he just, he just did a shoulder roll. He couldn't even climb out, and he just tumbled out. And he wound up getting caught on those window bars, uh, the child gates, I should say. Um, and it got caught on his strap. So now he's facing out, but hanging. And, and, and he was thinking that, you know, if, you know, the fire's on the floor below us. So if it starts coming out the window there, I'm in a, I'm in a bad spot, and I'm going to get cooked. Um, and fortunately for him, the bars gave, and he went down, and he landed sort of in a, in a seated position, and his face went, you know, smashing into his, his lap. Um, 
his, his knees, the doctor told him, both of them just basically exploded. And uh, all the tendons around his knee, both of his knees just, just blew out. Um, when his face hit his lap, he bit right through his tongue. And then he snapped back, and the bottle had risen and saved his head from coming off. Um, but when he smashed his head against the bottle, he, he, um, he became internally decapitated. Like his skull was um, removed from his spine and whatnot. And then he just collapsed, and he was, he was out, and he wasn't breathing. Um, but fortunately, some guys got to him and realized that, and um, they resuscitated him in the, in the backyard there. And he actually woke up back there. But um, um, he, he's alive today and walking. He's, he's not active or anything, but uh, he's, he's, uh, he's here for sure. Um, and then uh, two other guys from Rescue 3 were at the windows next to us. They shared a rope to get down. And um, well, Jeff lost control of, his ro of the rope about 10 feet low, but then came down, and, um, and he fell in a, in a real bad way. Um, they had to slice him open. It's called like compartment syndrome. They take your guts out so that your vital organs can, um, the swelling can go down on your organs and whatnot. So he was in real bad shape, uh, but he survived. And, uh, and then Joey DiBernardo was two windows over from us, and he went out on the rope after he tied it off to the window bars and, um, and belayed himself down, but the, the, the bars came out, and then he fell, and he had uh, severe uh, injuries throughout his body. And, um, he survived that day, but he passed away a few years later from the injuries. Um, and the sixth guy was John Blue. Um, John was the chauffeur 27, and, and um, uh, he was doing searches in that room that I said I saw the fire escape. And that was the first room kind of like really to take the, the, um, the blunt of the heat and then light up on us. And John was in that room when it did, and he dove out on fire and uh, landed um, like kind of head first. Uh, so his, his, his injuries were mostly to his upper body and his head, and he passed away that morning um, at the hospital. Um, as far as my injuries, I was, I was really fortunate. Um, just uh, a miracle the way I landed, but I, 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 I cracked open my skull from, um, from, from here to back here. I, I had broken all my ribs and fractured my sternum. I um, had burns to my hand, my face. I tore off my bicep tendon. Um, I herniated the discs in my lower back and in my neck, uh, punctured a lung, and uh, there's probably more, and I just, I, I don't know, but. Uh, well, FDNY Lieutenant Kevin White witnessed all of you coming out of the window. Can you walk us through what you think it was like for those members to have to respond to that sure, operation? Sure, sure. Th um, Lieutenant White was, was the extra truck, and um, the chief had asked them to go up and check out the top floor. And this was prior to things going south. And he said, I'm going to take a peek in the rear first and see what's going on back there. Because uh, there was no signs of anything in the front of the building. So he walked to, to the back, which is, is, is that photo there. And, and he saw you know, smoke coming out of the, the top floor windows. Um, and he had his two guys with him. Um, his inside team was with him. And uh, then my boss started to climb out. And that's what he saw was, was uh, my boss hanging from the window and let go. And, um, and then John Blue came flying out the window next to us on the, on the right side. So that's, we hear him on the radio saying, you know, fireman down, two firemen down. Um, and his two guys went to, started to go over to my boss and John Blue on the ground. And Kevin 
um, you know, had the heads up to grab them by the back of their collars, both of them, and just throw them to the floor where they were standing. And they looked up at him like, what, what are you doing? Why, what, what are you doing? And he just said, there's more. There's more. And uh, he probably saved their lives by not getting hit by, you know, by more jumpers. Um, we know on September 11th how many guys were lost from, from uh, getting hit by people. But, you know, Kevin just saved these guys from getting hit by the, the other four of us that are about to come out these windows. Um, and, and, and he witnessed it all. He just, you know, was incredible because he, uh, he was able to report to the chief in the street what he saw, and clearly what he saw with firemen going down. And now he sees six firemen come out the window. And he was on the radio saying, get me a, um, a rope on the roof, get me a 35 to the rear, um, you know, get me a ladder to the rear, a rope on the roof, and, and reporting the tools that he needed. And then uh, while all of us are in the back there, now he's able to communicate very clearly the resources that he needs. Um, you know, we need oxygen and backboards and engine companies in the rear. Uh, we have massive injuries. Um, and he set up a, a trauma center back there and prioritized all of us. After having experienced all of this, you know, um, which is just incredible. You know, he's, you're first. Uh, he's, nope, nope, now he's first. He's, he's next. And then, he, okay, he's third. He's, you know, and it just, as companies got back there, he just, assign them to who needed these guys the most and whatnot. So, uh, I mean, in my mind, he deserves a medal that doesn't, you know, it just, uh, it was fantastic that he saved lives, you know, so. Thank you for walking us through yeah. a lot of that day. I want to start talking about your recovery process. How did your family members find out about the Black Sunday fire? Um, the, uh, the guys, the guys in my brother's firehouse, um, so I was still so new that my family hadn't been to the firehouse or we hadn't been at a Christmas party or involved with them, so they didn't even know my folks yet. Um, but the guys in my brother's house had found out at the kitchen table that morning because there was a fireman um, from the Bronx working there. He says, we got some bad things going on in the Bronx. It sounds like there's guys down and there's Maydays. And they asked him what company in the Bronx. They said, you know, 27 truck. And then one of the guys says, is, is Brendan working? And uh, uh, my buddy Timmy had said, yeah, he, he was working last night. So um, they had called the liaison, that a fireman from my brother's firehouse that was like responsible for my parents and was assigned to them after Michael passed. And uh, he wound up calling up to my firehouse and talking to the guys that were <coughs> relocated up there and getting as much information as he could and then calling my folks um, to say, you know, uh, Brendan had an accident, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come get you and bring you up there. But um, I also had spoken to my mother in the uh, in the emergency room. I had uh, I don't know how, but I said I, I asked one of the guys that had gotten there, can you call my mother and put me on the phone with her? And he did that, and I spoke to her. Um, I don't remember it; she does. But um, she just kept telling me, listen to the doctors, just listen to the doctors, and I'll be up there. I'm on my way. So that's kind of how they found out about it. And um, I don't think they were told the severity of it just at first, but they learned um, as soon as they got to the hospital what was going on. So then yeah. what was your recovery process like? It was pretty grueling. I was, I was in and out of the hospital in a week, um, which compared to the other guys that survived, um, they were there for months. Um, but I, I was fortunate that I went home and uh, I went to my parents' house and stayed there. Um, 
and my mother took care of me. I, I remember going to the, the fire department as a medical office where we have to check in when you're injured. And um, eventually I made my way down there to check in with the doctors. And um, I remember asking the doctor the first question, how soon can I go back? How soon can I go back? And he said, he goes, oh, you know, um, he was a pulmonologist. He said, oh, you know, probably about three months. And I was like, that's fantastic. I can do three months on my head. You know, that's nothing, you know. Um, and my mother looked at him like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, you know, and we, we started setting up doctors um, to help with my physical injuries. And, um, well, it, it, it got tougher than three months because I was out for just shy of three years. You know, so um, that, was, that was tough. We, we put together a great team of doctors at, at the best ones in New York City. And, um, and, and, and fortunately, like, after a couple of surgeries and whatnot, um, I was able to, like, you know, adjust to it and, and, um, and, 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 you know, start to come back, you know. How did you start addressing uh, the challenge of height? Um, well, it's, it's funny. Like, as soon as I was addressing my, my physical injuries, um, you know, when my, my ribs were healed up and my lungs and um, I had shoulder surgery, it, it was like, that was, that was the main focus of everything. And then as that started to um, not just go away, but as soon as I started to adjust to it and, you know, be able to live with it, um, uh, this thing called post-traumatic stress came knocking. And uh, that, that, as many times as I was warned about it, it still was, uh, you know, nothing I could prepare for. Um, it was just things were happening that I, just, I was like, what, 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 what was that? Or, um, you know, um, I remember I, I live in, I live in midtown Manhattan and I was walking down second Avenue and I would, I would just look up at these tenements and buildings down second Avenue. And I, I just had a habit of counting the floors. And, um, this was probably about October. So about nine, 10 months after the fire. And, uh, I remember that day walking and I just, the next thing I remember someone was picking me up off the sidewalk. I just went black and I felt, I was on my hands and knees and I was like, what the heck? It was the middle of the day and I was like, what was that? You know, I, I must have just fainted or something and uh, um, it, it would happen more often or I would get jolted um, very easily. Heights were, uh, were, were a big thing. Um, and I, I, um, I wound up getting in touch with uh, the counseling unit and um, my doctor at the fire department was, was, was having me see them there, which was a tremendous help, but it got a lot worse before it ever got better. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, there, were, um, there were some rough days, and then things got extremely dark. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I was, I was almost fortunate. Um, my brother's best friend, who survived the Trade Center, um, and he was basically another son to my mother. He lived with us uh, at my parents' house, and um, and whatnot, and uh, like I said, he was another older brother to me, but, but a year after 9-11, Gary took his life. Um, he had lost my brother, who was his, his very close friend. He was um, extremely close, or he was cousins with Captain Vigiano's two boys. Um, they were related. Uh, another guy, Bronco, from Rescue 4, who passed away, was, was very good friends with Gary. So he lost everybody around him, and, uh, and he, he um, he took his own life. And I remember always thinking when it got 
dark for me. I remember Gary, and I remember thinking, this is what he must have felt. Um, this is what he must have been going through. And there was a spiral, and it was going down. And uh, it was hard to, hard to climb out of it. But I was, uh, was going to do my best to, uh, to make sure I didn't go down any further and, and to get back up, you know, like that. The goal of this summit is to help others create a strong, resilient anchor. So what anchors you and what brought you back to your why so that you could continue to come out of that dark place? Um, I, was, I was very lucky. I had, I had so much support around me. And first of all, um, the FDMY, the fire department, um, the, 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 the fire service around the country. Um, was just always so supportive, you know. I, I've said I've said to people if if September 11th was the worst day, um, then the best day ever was September 12th because I witnessed an entire firehouse, Michaels, my brothers, show up at my parents' house to support them. Uh, I witnessed the whole battalion, the entire FDNY, came that next day to support my family and all of the families of, of the guys that were lost. And it was just tremendous. And witnessing that and them supporting my, my parents and, and opening up their firehouse to us, um, and they've never left. They've, they've, they've been with us since that day, and it just is, is tremendous. So when I got injured, sure enough, the FDNY gave me that support, um, even with a guy with just a couple of weeks on the job. And, uh, and they were a tremendous um, help to get back, um, as well as, of course, my family and my, my friends. Um, that I was uh, always surrounded by and, and helping. I had great doctors, um, but, but really the, the job itself, and, and you know, I, I tell probies getting on now, I say, you're gonna hear it all the time, this is the greatest job, this is the greatest job. And I said, that is why it's the greatest job. Because when, when, when you need someone, they're there. They're always there in the times of trouble. And they don't go, you know, they stay with you. And uh, I'm grateful for it, for sure. My last question is, what advice would you give someone else on how to be resilient? Um, you know, Jason says to me, Brendan, you're so resilient, you're so resilient. I guess I don't look at it in that, in that manner. And I just, um, I think getting back and doing what I, I, I did, um, I think it starts with where, you know, how I was raised, um, my parents and my background. Um, for sure, and, and the foundation of, of, of my life and how they, my, my, my parents raised me. But um, I just, I always believed that I could do it, you know. I, and even on those tough days, um, and there were, there were plenty of times I took a day off, let's just say, if I was hurting mentally or, or physically, um, there were plenty of days that I just, I couldn't, couldn't go on at that moment, but I just knew that, you know what, I'll be back. I'll chip away at it again tomorrow or the next day. And I just kept trying, and I wanted to do it. Um, and, and because of the support from the fire department um, and some of the guys that I was assigned to eventually down at the fire academy after I went light duty, um, uh, they were they were a huge help. And I and I had the inspiration of of the guys that were lost. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, there was three guys at the fire that I was involved in that were killed that day. Um, and there was another fireman that was lost in a fire in Brooklyn that day. And it was, I believe, the first time we've lost firemen at two separate fires um, outside of the Trade Center. That was one incident. But um, 
So I, I had I had those guys that I used to motivate me, and um, and to get me back. Um, and and I think now there's still challenges going to work and being able to perform and do what I need to do. I mean, I I, I could be on the top of a building uh, and get jolted just from looking over the edge. It still happens. I just know how to react to it now, or how to uh, you know that that you know I used to feel like I was getting tasered. Um, and, and go to my knees and just get shaken, and that would be the end of the day for me. Uh, and now when I get hit with that, that zap, I know how to kind of like just brush it off, or I, I've accepted it, you know, like, but I'm not gonna let it get to me. I'm gonna have to keep going, and uh, um, I'm fortunate that I, 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 can, I can do that, you know, um, and, and keep going, but um, I don't know, I, I, like, how to tell someone to be, to be resilient, um, you know, having taken the MPI courses that Jason teaches is a is a huge help to me now, um, and 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 my my tactical breathing, and uh, what we're taught in that class is a tremendous help. You know, getting getting a full you know breath of air. Like we had a we had a first do job just on this past Monday. I remember being up there and just practicing my breathing, and it was like a cakewalk compared to like probably the proby that was next to me following me, and I could see him. And I remember using, you know, giving him, you know, he was like huffing and puffing and, and nervous. And I just um, just put my hand on him, almost like to reset him. And just, you know, hey, kid, relax. We're doing good. Let's just go. And he calmed down a little bit, you know, and, and on we went. And we did our searches. And it just, uh, it, was, it was great. And I, I appreciate the, the skills that I learned in, in MPI, Jason. It was, uh, I've, I've, I practice them when I'm in the car or not at work and then, you know, I, I, I can uh, reap the benefits, you know, at a first do, do job like the other day. So um, it, it really is, is, is a help, you know. So, I mean, I, that, the day of Black Sunday, I'm a prime example of how it, uh, you know, the negative effects of, of that day. I don't remember hearing any radio transmissions. I had tunnel vision. I don't, um, the only radio transmissions that I heard were the ones my boss made face to face with me. Um, I, I, I was breathing heavy. I, I just was, um, you know, all the, the negative effects of the anxiety and stress that I was, you know, God, I wish I had my MPI skills that day, <laughs> you know, so, but. Uh, well, Brendan, I had a buffet of emotions speaking with you just now and mostly gratitude, though. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks. We're going to take about 15 minutes to break and discuss. Uh, there are talking points in your book. If you want to review them, maybe that'll help foster some conversation. And then when we come back, we'll take one or two questions with Brendan. I'm happy to hear that everybody's murmuring and having deep conversation about this. In the interest of time, we're going to take one question from two groups. So we're only going to have two questions with Brendan right now. But Brendan's going to be around today and tomorrow. So if you want to have a sidebar conversation with him or ask him any questions, I'm sure he'll welcome it. So I'm going to just pick randomly. Does anybody at this table have a question for Brendan? And please come up to this microphone to ask it. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, so we were discussing um, uh, having a, being able to be re resilient, uh, kind of going back to what Jason talked about this morning, knowing and having a why. Uh, it seemed like you know you had a desire to get back to work uh, and 
and to get back to being on the job. When you went and met with the medical doctors that first time, the FDNY doctors, and they said three months, um, if their response had been different and said, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to go back to work, you should, you know, find something else. How would that have altered uh, your your mental mindset and, and changed your recovery path uh, if somebody had kind of demoralized that dream and said, yeah, not going to happen? That's, that's great. And I always, you know, I've always thought of, um, you know, having been told three months, it's set in. And it, it was now in my mind, and it means three months, even though it meant three years. So I think that, that helped in a big way, right off the bat, knowing that, you know, if, if they would have said, listen, uh, it's going to take you three years to get back, I would have been like, holy cow, um, that's, um, that's hard. But I think I still would have worked at it. Um, you know, and, and there were days that I went, I would go to the medical office, because um, you have to report in every so often, uh, and the doctors there said, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're going back, or I'm on the fence. Um, one doctor, uh, she would, uh, she was very supportive of me, and she kind of said, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself, Brendan, um, because I'm not, I'm not sure I can let you go back. Uh, and, and I knew that she was going to be a big hurdle. Um, so I, I had to put a lot of work into this. Uh, Dr. Kerry Kelly, who was the chief medical officer, was the doctor I was reporting to, and and. She had known my mother. She obviously knew what happened to my brother. So she would say, you know, what'd you do before this? Why don't you look into maybe going back to that? And I was like, no, I, I want to get back, I think. She, and she would say, well, I'm on the fence. I'm not sure. I, I can't. She, she let a fireman go back after he got severely burned in 1998 um, at a fire in Brooklyn. Uh, this guy, uh, Timmy Stackpole. And uh, she, she okayed. She didn't want him to go back. And he battled and had all of his outside doctors go to her and say, you know, like, uh, we're, we're okay with him going back. And she didn't want it. And, and uh, I think uh, Timmy kind of just got some more people to influence her. And she's like, okay. And he died six months later in the World Trade Center. So that, um, that was very heavy on her. Now, if it wasn't Timmy Stackpole, it probably was going to be somebody else. But she, uh, she, she, um, wasn't too sure on letting me go back. And she was like, Brendan, you know what? You could, you could stay at the academy and teach. Uh, you don't have to go back to the firehouse. Um, but I, I wanted to, and I just, I, I just kept pushing. But uh, you know, I think that setting it off, uh, that first visit to the medical office, and was, was a huge help. Um, but three months came and went. Uh, I remember going to see my orthopedist, and he was like, you're going what? I said. He's like, he was like seeing me, giving me like, you know, oh, I, he was taking care of my chest, my shoulder, my broken ribs. And he goes, all right, Brendan, come back in, in, in June and see me. And I go, June? I'm like, I'm going back to the firehouse in May. It's three months, you know? He goes, what? I said, yeah. He goes, you can go back to the firehouse in May. He goes, if you want to go for lunch or dinner. He goes, but you're not going back to work. I was like, yeah, you don't go back to work. Because Brendan, your ribs are going to be broken for, it's going to take like 16 weeks for that to heal. And I was like, oh. So as I started to accumulate all these other doctors, you know, um, for my brain injury, um, for my lungs, my, I, I still needed surgery on my shoulder. I realized that this was going to be a while. And it was, uh, it, it, 
like I said, it started out like great, but then it got it got grueling, like physically. And then when I was able to adapt to the, the physical problems um, and overcome them, that's when like all the the mental and emotional issues came up, and they uh, they really were were, were difficult. Um, and then I was joking with Patty earlier. I said the biggest problem I had to overcome was my well, getting permission from my mother, you know, <laughs> to go back. You know? So that was a tough one, you know. And my dad wanted a warning when I was going to do it because he wanted to get out of the house that morning. <laughs> you know? like, I don't want to be around here, but it is. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that was a huge help in a, in a way. And then I just um, you know, kept chipping away at it. So. We'll take one more question. Does anybody want to volunteer or you want me to call on you? All right, somebody from this group. You have a question? So one of the things you talked about was, uh, you know, you, you went through a lot of uh, extreme adversity, not just through your own experience, but um, through the experience with your brother and everything that your family went through. Um, but one of the biggest things we wanted to know was, uh, where, what was your drive? What was your main drive and your main reason to want to come back to, to work and, and come back and, and get back on the break and, and ride and go back to fires? Jake, you know, like I, I always also saw my injuries compared to the other guys. Like Gene was paralyzed for a long time before he ever started to even. Uh, I mean, he's up walking now. He can't turn his head, and uh, here I am, home, sleeping in, you know, in my own apartment. And I'd go up to visit him, and he's laying there. Um, you know, he couldn't talk. He was paralyzed. He, he, we would communicate with him by he would blink, and he would. We'd spell the alphabet out, and until we got to that letter, then he would start blinking, and he would like spell out, let's say, ice chips or something, and that's what we knew. He, you know, and to see this guy laying there like that, um, uh, and I knew, and I knew Jeff was in a in a in a bad state as well, up uh, in Rockland County at the the physical therapy center that he went to. Joey was at Cornell, so I would see him there when I go see Gene, and these guys were were, were in bad shape, and I'm on my own feet, and I said, you know what? I got. I, I, I can. If I can get back, I'm doing that. And look at these guys. I got to do this for them. I had gotten extremely close with the widows and the, and the families of those guys that were lost, um, the Mayrins and, and and John Blue's family, uh, and, and that that helped push me. You know, um, I, I couldn't go into a corner and hide or, or or walk away from this. I I felt like I had to do this. You know, and I, I and I wanted to also. That's for sure. I wanted to. It wasn't. I wasn't doing anything I didn't want to. But I also just felt the need that I needed to do this. Um, and and it's, it's strange, like I talked to John's widow, Eileen, and, and she always says, Brendan, you know what, when, when you were there for me and helping me so much throughout, well, she didn't realize it, but in the same way she was helping me, you know, by just being there for her and helping her in ways was helping me, you know. Um, th there was There was a tremendous amount of guilt that I was walking around, that I was that I was home uh, with my family and these guys were in the hospital, you know, um, and it just, uh, it, that weighed on me. Um, and and it, it, in a sense, uh, the guilt also pushed me to, 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 to get back, you know, in, in a way, if that makes any sense. I mean, guilt usually drags a lot of people down and, and whatnot, but it, it just, um, I, I said, I gotta do this for them. And then in turn, I was also doing it for me. You know, um, and I remember asking my mother, you know, I, I really, I, I, mom, I got to get back. I, I think that that is going to be the, the last thing that I need that's going to help me overcome 
all of this um, is getting back. That's going to be like the last dose of medicine is getting back to the firehouse. And, um, and she said, Brendan, if that's going to make you um, yourself again, uh, then, 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 okay, I need you to go back too. I want you to go back. You know, if, if, if you're not going to be yourself not being back there and you think going back is going to put you back um, to being, you know, the Brendan we knew before this or, or a new Brendan but very, very close to that guy, uh, then, you, then you go back, okay, and just be careful. You know, we made a deal. If I'm hurting, I step offline, and I sure have plenty of times. Like when my back acts up, when my neck is giving me a lot of problems, you know, I lose control, I lose function of my arm from pinched nerves, uh, I lose feeling in my, my toes and my legs, and then I just step off, and if I have to get an injection of cortisone or whatnot and rehab it a little more, uh, I do that, but I, I keep that promise with my mother and, and with Dr. Kelly. You know, she always had said it was, um, when I was pushing to go back real soon, um, she goes, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I need Brendan to be Brendan again. And then once that happens, we'll worry about, or we'll think about Brendan the firefighter. You know, and that, that kicked in. And then I said, all right, I'm not gonna rush this. I'm gonna work at it. And it, and it took a while, but uh, you know, I was fortunate that I was able to, you know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You can tell about my first job back. Yeah, we were talking about this uh, offline. What was your experience, your first fire back with the FDNY? Go figure. Um, I, I went back sometime mid to late November of 07. So it was just into December that um, we caught, you know, we, we went on a call for, for, a, for a fire and we were being assigned to the top floor again. Um, and up we went, it was banked down, like just black in the stairwell above the fire. And uh, we masked up, up we went, and it was hot in this, uh, in this stairwell. It was, again, a very similar building to, to the one from January 23rd. And um, I hear on the radio, we lost water, we lost water. And I'm saying, this is, this is a, an evil freaking joke that these guys, uh, you know, come on, you know, I'd rather, you know, Bucket me with the water, uh, you, know, you know, do something like, I don't know, but uh, the truck then that was on the fire floor uh, got on the radio and said, you know, we're backing out, 38, um, I'm sorry, uh, 50, 58 is backing out. We don't have control of it. And the, the line backed out. And now the, the stairwell started to really get hot. And um, uh, we're on the top floor, and another boss who's down downstairs said, 27, did you hear that? They lost water. They lost control of the fire. They don't have it. And my boss acknowledged and said, yep, okay. And it, we were trying to break, you know, get into the door uh, to, of the apartment, maybe close the door behind us and just stay, stay in there. And it just got so, so hot. Like even with my hood on, my ears were just burning. And uh, my boss grabbed me and says, we're out of here. And we just started diving down flights of stairs until we got below the fire floor. And, uh, you know, we lost all of our tools at the time and just were getting back there. We got cooled off a little bit, and then the, they found the problem with the water. They made a second push. In they went. Up we went. We got the door. We got in there. We had a couple of rooms of fire up there. We got a line up there. Everything went smooth. And then, uh, you know, we made it back down to the street this time. So it was, uh, it was a very rewarding feeling, you know. But again, it was a, um, a very, like, talk about a zap, you know, like, and being like almost trapped in a sense or just the heat and everything was coming back 
you know. And I, I really think having that job, going back to work, helped me then keep going, you know, instead of like tippy-toeing back. It really was just like, here, take this if you want to come back. And then I was like, all right, I think I can do it. So it was, it was very helpful. I'm, I'm very fortunate with how things have gone. So, all right. Yeah. So. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks very much. Brendan's story never ceases to amaze me, no matter how many times I've heard him tell it. And you and I have listened to it before. And as you mentioned, something that Brendan doesn't often talk about is his brother Michael, which is a very important part of his story. And I'd like to take a moment and say thank you again to Brendan for sharing those personal details about his family. Anything else you want to add about Brendan's talk? Courage. That's the, the really the, the word that comes to mind. You know, like I said, I, I think that everything about Brendan exemplifies resilience, but just the, the the courage that he displayed in returning to work and, and that he continues to display. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways for me over the years in becoming friends with Brendan, getting to work with him, getting to learn from him, when we're dealt a bad hand, right, and we experience adversity, whether it be physical, emotionals, loss, we, we can become a victim or we can become a survivor. And largely that decision is, a, is an individual choice. Mm-hmm. And Brendan could have easily walked away from that event that morning and said, I'm a victim of this, I'm a victim of that. And he didn't. He, he walked away and said, I'm a survivor. And he didn't even say it right with his voice. He just said it with his, with his actions and his actions continue to speak volumes about the type of man and, and leader that that Brendan Cawley is. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit Leadership And Brendan could have easily walked away from that event that morning and said, I'm a victim of this. I'm a victim of that. He didn't. He, he walked away and said, I'm a survivor. And he didn't even say it right with his voice. He just said it with his, with his actions. And his actions continue to speak volumes about the type of, of man and, and leader that, that Brendan Cawley is.